So we're going to look at, uh, last week we looked at Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3, and uh, how Ezekiel got started, and uh, it was uh, probably one of the strangest chapters in the Bible, uh, with the wheels and the multi-faced angels, and, uh, but the basic line was, God sent him to the nation of Israel, and so this morning we'll look at chapter 4, 5, and 6. I see Gene's got 7 up there too, just in case uh, we get... I go fast, we might get an extra chapter done. So one of the key words in our theology, our understanding, and our walk with God is balance. And we're notorious for getting out of balance. And so as you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and faithfully every day read, you will maintain balance if you regularly read different sections of the Bible. And uh, so in our day and age, our culture, one of the things that are, is least favorite and uh, people don't like and uh, uh, get all excited about it and come up with all kinds of weird responses is the uh, wrath of God, the anger of God. Uh, they prefer a, a different God. And so God is God. He's not changed. Uh, and people say, I like the God of the New Testament. Well, read the book of Revelation. Uh, and so God has not changed. The God that you read about in the Old Testament is the same God, same attributes, same character, same values, same goals. Uh, and uh, so, but we talked today about a God of love. And, and so once you get out of balance, uh, one of the things that is used, uh, a word that's used repeatedly, and in fact, as you look at the blessings that God gives, and it says, blessed is the man who, blessed is the man who, and then you see what the condition is. Uh, the two most often given are blessed are those who seek him and blessed are those who fear him. And people ask me all the time, what's the Greek meaning of fear or the Hebrew word of, of fear? What's that mean? I say, uh, it means fear. Uh, and so God is mighty. He is awesome. He is a God who has anger and wrath against sin and the, today, that's like, let's just chuck that God. And so balance is critical if you're going to live a life that is pleasing to Him and you're going to grow. Uh, there are three basic motivations in our life. The first, and it's the beginning, is the fear of God, the fear of punishment. The next is hope of reward. The next is love of person. And so we grow in those. And you don't grow to the second until the first foundation is laid well. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of character, the beginning of growth is the fear of the Lord. Then you move on to hope of reward and then love of person. We like to go, oh, let's just be motivated by love of Jesus. That's cool, but uh, there's a journey that we go on. And if we don't take the journey, we don't get to the top floor without building the bottom floor. Uh, you build a house by starting with the foundation. And so uh, this is... Uh, a tough chapter, so I'm going to mostly just read it and talk about, uh, in fact, I think I'll read through the three chapters before I say anything, and then I'm going to jump over to uh, uh, another chapter in the book of Leviticus, and then a couple of passages in the New Testament, and if I have any time left, we'll talk about it. But, uh, and so I'll try to read this and not rip through it so that it has some impact, and I'm going to sit down so I can read it off the screen, so you're going to be reading the screen anyway. <clears throat> All right, let's see. I'm going to get this thing to work. 
Let's see if this will work. Now, you son of man, get yourself a brick. This brick would be soft clay. Place it before you and inscribe a city on it. So this is old-fashioned Legos. He builds a model of the city of Jerusalem. Inscribe a city on it. Jerusalem. Oops, went the wrong way. Then lay a siege against it. Build a siege wall, raise up a ramp, pitch camps and place battering rams against it all around. So he's basically acting out a war, a siege against Jerusalem, which he has made as a model. Then get yourself an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall. It'd be like a big skillet. An iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. <clears throat> As for you, lie down on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. And so he's built this model out of clay with a big skillet, and now he's laying down. You shall bear their iniquity for the number of days that you lie on it. For I have assigned you a number of days corresponding to the years of their iniquity, 390 days. Thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So I'm not sure if he took a break. It looks like he would have to periodically to go to the outhouse. But 390 days he's laying on his left side with this model uh, that he has built of Jerusalem. And so I'm sure the people would say, I wonder how many days he's going to lay there and keep coming by and, and check out and see how he's doing. So 390 days, by the way, I said I wasn't going to talk, but I guess I will. Uh, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. And so Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And you, you remember shortly after that, the nation split into two parts. And he talks about the two parts. And so from him uh, through the end of the nation of Israel before they're taken into captivity, it was 394 years. Uh, but Rehoboam had four good years before he turned to sin. There was not one good king in their history from that point on. And uh, with the, uh, Judah, there were a number of good kings. And so it's 390 days for Israel, only 40 years for Judah. I'm sure that Ezekiel, when he got to the right side, it was only 40 days. Think, oh, thank you, Lord. Only 40 days on this one. And obviously they were 40. Uh, each day corresponds to a year. And they were 40 years uh, in the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land. <clears throat> For I have assigned you a number of days corresponding to the years of your iniquity, their iniquity, 390 days. Thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for 40 days, a day for each year. Then you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm barred and prophesy against it. So he's not going to preach to the people. He's going to preach to this clay uh, model that he has built of Jerusalem. Uh, you're going to prophesy against it. Now behold, I will put ropes on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. But as for you, take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, spelt, put them in one vessel, make them into bread for yourself. I don't know if you bought Ezekiel bread. Uh, this is where it comes from. 
I looked up, I googled Ezekiel to find some passages to read, and I found a whole bunch of recipes for making this bread uh, from this chapter. Uh, <clears throat> this was not given as a health food. This was the ultimate and poor food. That is, if you didn't have any money, this is what you ate, and it was a picture of famine. This is what they fed cows. And so the fact that he was making bread out of it was saying, famine is coming, and so you're going to eat this stuff instead of what you would normally eat. But now it's touted as the ultimate in health food. Uh, it was not written uh, to be a recipe for health. It was written as a message of poverty and want and having nothing, so you were stuck with eating the food that you feed the cows. <clears throat> you shall eat it according to the number of the days that you lie on your side, 390 days. Your food which you shall eat... Uh, you sh your food which you eat shall be 20 shekels a day by weight. You shall eat it from time to time. <clears throat> the water you drink shall be the sixth part of a hen by measure. You shall drink it from time to time. You shall eat it as a, a barley cake, having baked it in their sight over human dung. <clears throat> I didn't know human dung would burn, but evidently if you get it dry enough, it will. Then the Lord said, Thus will the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will banish them. But I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I have never been defiled. Now, Ezekiel's a priest. In fact, he was the priest. He wasn't a high priest, but he was appointed that way in captivity. And so he was sort of the, the guy in charge. And uh, he was known for his holiness, his devotion to the law. He said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I have never been defiled. From my youth until now, I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has any unclean meat ever entered my mouth. Ezekiel is saying, Lord, I'd just as soon not do this, this uh, dung thing. <laughs> then he said to me, see, I will give you cow's dung in place of human dung. I didn't know cow manure would burn either, but evidently dry stuff, most anything will burn, uh, which you shall prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I am going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety and drink water by measure and in horror. And so he's living this out 390 days. People are walking by, and he's preaching to this brick building, and he's eating this uh, uh, strange bread and drinking water, and he's preaching to the city. And so people, I'm sure, listened and took note. Because bread and water will be scarce, they will be appalled with one another and waste away in their iniquity. As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard, then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. One third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city, which is uh, a picture of famine, excuse me, a pestilence, uh, when the days of the siege are completed. Then you shall take one third and strike it with a sword all around the city, one-third you shall scatter to the wind, which is talking about captivity, and uh, will, I will unsheath the sword behind them. Take also a few in number from them and bind them in the edge of your robes, which would be talking about that remnant uh, that are left. Take again some of them and throw them into the fire and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will spread to all the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem. This is God's chosen place. This is where the kingdom will be. And this is what I'm going to do to this city. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. But she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations against my statutes, more than the lands which surround her. For they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have more turmoil than the nations which surround you and have not walked in my statutes, nor observed my ordinances, nor observed the ordinances of the nations which surround you, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you. I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do among you what I have not done and the like of which I, have never, uh, I will never do again. Therefore, fathers will eat their sons among you, and sons will eat their fathers. So cannibalism became, uh, d during this uh, siege of Jerusalem, 11 years later, and if you read about the uh, 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, it says that the cannibalism was so uh, gross that it made even the Romans throw up, who were used to torturing and killing people. I will execute judgments on you and scatter all your remnant to every wind. So as, I, so as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable idols and with all your abominations, therefore I will also withdraw my eye, I will also withdraw and my eye will have no pity and I will not spare. One third of you will die by plague or be consumed by famine among you. One third will fall by the sword. <clears throat> and one-third I will scatter to every wind, and I will unsheath the sword behind them. Thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them, and I will be appeased. Then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. So it will be a reproach, a reviling, a warning, and an object of horror to the nations who surround you. When I execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. When I send against them the deadly arrows of famine, which were for the destruction of those whom I will send to destroy you, then I will also intensify the famine upon you and break the staff of bread. Moreover, I will send on you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you of your children. Plague and bloodshed also will pass through you, and I will bring the sword on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, moving to chapter 6, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, Mountains of Israel, listen to the word of the Lord God. The 390 days and 40 days are probably past now as he's gotten to this chapter. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys, Behold, I myself am going to bring a sword on you, and I will destroy your high places. So your altars will become desolate, your incense altars will be smashed. These were altars and high places to foreign gods. <clears throat> and I will make your slain fall in front of your idols. I will also lay the dead bodies of the sons of Israel in front of their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and the high places will be desolate that your altars may become waste and desolate. Your idols may be broken and brought to an end. Your incense altars may be cut down. Your works may be blotted out. The slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. However, I will leave a remnant. For you will have those who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered among the countries. And Ezekiel was one of those. Then those who... Escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me. 
and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols, and they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed for all their abominations. <clears throat> There's lots of stuff today about uh, how bad uh, guilt is, how bad self-loathing is, uh, and how to manage all of that. Uh, an awful lot of that is not uh, psychological, it's spiritual, in the sense that when you sin against God, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. Uh, and basically, as I say uh, to people, make you feel like dirt. Uh, that convicting of sin, that self-loathing, is caused when we fall away from God, when we sin, and God says this as part of the judgment. Uh, they will loathe themselves in their own sight, for the evils which they have committed, for all their abominations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would inflict this disaster on them. Thus says the Lord God, clap your hands, stomp your foot, and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, which will fall by sword, famine, and plague. He who is far off will die by the plague, and he who is near will fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged will die by the famine. Thus I will spend my wrath on them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when your slain are among their idols, around their altars, on every high hill, on all the tops of the mountains. Under every green tree and under every leafy oak, the places where they offered soothing aroma to all their idols. So throughout all their habitations, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste in the wilderness toward Diblah. Thus they will know that I am the Lord." Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is chapter 7 now, let's see, five, uh, 4, 5, 6. Okay, I think we'll stop there. That's, I was only going to do three chapters. Did I, I See, I started with five, right? No, four. I read there was three. So let me read another little passage. <clears throat> this is Leviticus, and much of this is quoted by Ezekiel. It's word for word in this passage. So evidently the nation of Israel would have obviously known this. Uh, it was part of the, uh, that many of them memorized. But if you do not obey me, it's Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so break my covenant... I, in turn, will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes, cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins." I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly, for your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. If then you act with hostility against me and are, un are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times more according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the fields, which will bereave you of your children, destroy your cattle, reduce your numbers so that your roads lie de deserted 
And if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times more for your sins. I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance to the covenant, and when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you so that you shall be delivered into enemy hands. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread and ration to mountains so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Yet if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrath, wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times more for your sins. I don't know if you're keeping track of that math or not. Further, you will eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I then will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars, Heap your remains on the remains of your idols, for my soul shall abhor you. I will lay waste your cities as well, make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not smell your soothing aromas. I will make the land desolate, so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. So uh, that's... Not the kind of thing you preach on if you want people to come back the next week. Um, and so uh, the average individual says, I'm sure glad the New Testament isn't quite that bad. Um, I'm memorizing the book of Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy and the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant? by which he, <clears throat> he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. You know how you insult the Spirit of grace? You basically say, it really doesn't matter. I'm living under grace. Jesus has forgiven. Uh, it's cool. I can pretty much do what I want. Has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if I would read that to the average church person they'll say that must be out of the book of ezekiel Uh, then that's the book of hebrews and then read the book of revelation uh, the uh, tribulation period and what uh, takes place there and um, so the key in living life so that doesn't become part of your life. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, scourges every son whom He receives. The fear of the Lord is real, ought to be real in us as we understand that there's a right way to live and a wrong way. And when we live outside God's will, the consequences are real. Uh, we like to ignore that and not anticipate that and blame it on everything but our own behavior. And so... Okay, I can't live a perfect life. Perfect life is not what's required. What is required is 
uh, confession and repentance and pursuit of righteousness. And so I sin every day. I'm hoping to have a day one in which I don't. And so once that happens, there's two things. One is, no big deal. No big deal. It doesn't matter. Or I can, ah, this morning driving here, I was praying and I said, Lord, I just hate it when I live my life uh, with low self-control. When I don't do what I want to do, when I do what I don't want to do. And uh, then confessing those things in which, uh, and it's just, you know, basic uh, disciplines and conversation and thoughts and, you know, you just get caught up in life and the words and people and events. And, oh. So there's a grieving, a confession, and a repentance which says, I always say, I'm going to never do that again. I do, but I just make that commitment. And I say, Lord, I can't do it without your strength. Help me to be holy. Help me to please you. Help me to grow. And so the, the uh, perfection is not the issue. What is the issue is uh, desire and acknowledgement and confession, repentance. And so in the book of Revelation, when you start, the admonition repeated to every one of the seven churches, except for two, is repent. Remember where you were. Repent and do the deeds you did it first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Uh, repent, or else I'm coming to you and will make war against you with the sword of my mouth. And uh, so that admonition is repeated regularly. So motivation to pursue holiness is based on three key uh, areas of motivation. Fear of punishment, hope of reward, love of person. And uh, the beginning, the foundation, wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And then once you get that one down, pat, the hope of reward becomes a strong motivation. Once you get those down, pat, then love a person. That is what you want to do is please the Lord Jesus. You want to sense his pleasure in your life. Everybody wants to jump to number three, uh, but you, it, it doesn't happen. And so we live in a country uh, that basically wants to describe their God and uh, say this is the God I worship. Uh, you worship the God of the Bible, and God has not changed, and who he has been is who he is. And, uh, and so we understand that, that he is a holy God who hates sin, and uh, that's why Jesus came. That's why he did what he did. That's why he paid the price that he paid. So the wrath of God was poured out against his own son. And that's why Hebrews says, those who have trampled underfoot the blood of the Son of God and has uh, insulted the Spirit of grace, it's like all that Jesus did on the cross to take the wrath of God against me now allows me to do anything I want, uh, to be casual about my uh, behavior and my attitude and the things that I do and uh, insult the spirit of grace. It doesn't sound like a good thing to do to me uh, in the sense of our life being blessed by him. So blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Uh, I think that uh, is repeated 
Do you remember how many times? I'd say to Matt, because he had it sort of a project when he was in leadership class in that area. I think there's 11 references. Uh, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, and some of them very specific in the sense of the quality of his marriage, the quality of his kids, his health, his material uh, and financial stability. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, and that means you follow his principles. So uh, uh, just to review uh, something that you know, uh, Ezekiel, writing to the nation of Israel, and he said, you have violated, you have forsaken my law, my ordinances. Uh, that's given to the nation of Israel in the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, that Moses received on the, on the mountain. And so Hebrews says, we now have a different priest. We're no longer under the Aaronic priesthood, we are under the priesthood of Jesus. And then it says that when there is a change of priesthood, there is a change of law. But we're not without law. That is, some think that when we move to the new covenant, all of a sudden law was done away with. Um, so you just read the New Testament. It says, husbands, live, love your wives the way Christ loves the church. That's a command. Uh, that's in sort of a jump up from what you might call the Levitical law. Uh, in the Levitical law, you could stone your wife. Um, so, the New Covenant, husbands love your wives, though Christ loves the church. And uh, we're to forgive one another even as Christ forgave us. And when you total up and you look at all the imperatives in the, in the New Testament, uh, especially in the letters written to the church, uh, you find a pretty good list of commands. Uh, and they're uh, similar, but there is obviously a, a, uh, a tone change. And the reason for that is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us. Uh, so we say, I can um, walk in the Spirit, not carry out the desire of the flesh. When you take those dudes in the Old Testament who had these laws that they had, uh, they didn't have that. But we have the, the, the forgiveness of uh, God because of what Christ did, and we have the Spirit of God living inside of us who guides us, convicts us, gives us power, gives us strength. And so our main responsibility, number one thing in the New Testament, is to declare Jesus Lord of our life. Lord of our life. That is, there is no other gods in my life. And so as you read about this in Ezekiel, what was the sin that really got God all angry and poured out His wrath on them? Idolatry. He said, I'll lay the bones of your kids at the foot of your idols. And so the problem today is our idolatry is quite a bit more sophisticated. And uh, it's more difficult to identify. But Paul says in Ephesians, uh, our greed, which is idolatry. And so we worship uh, cars and boats. I'm building a boat, uh, but I'll try not to worship it. And uh, our houses and our money. Uh, Psalms 115 talks about uh, the pictures on 
that which we worship, and it sounds like a dollar bill or more like a hundred dollar bill. And so our money, our jobs, our boats, our cars, the things that we depend on for joy and happiness and security becomes our God. And so uh, the psalmist says, Besides you, Lord, I desire nothing on this earth. Besides you, I need nothing. Beside you, nothing will bring joy and security and peace in my life. You are my God. Uh, You are all I need. You are the source of my eternal life. I love you. I will follow you. I will serve you. I will obey you. And so uh, it's not perfection that God's wanting. It's devotion. It's our love. It's our devotion. It's our service, our commitment. And so every morning, as you know, I declare Jesus Lord of my life. And I say, today, Lord, I will obey you. I will obey you. I will follow you. I'll do your will no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is. Uh, You died for me. I owe you my life. You purchased me with your blood. And I know that you will grant me your strength through your spirit uh, to live the life that you've called me to live. And so at the end of the day, before I go to sleep, I examine my life and confess all known sin to God and thank Him for His forgiveness and His grace and His love for me. And so it's not a, a major burden, but it is, uh, there is a, a, this apathy and uh, sort of no big deal, grace takes care of it, uh, and it doesn't matter what I do. Um, I wonder sometimes when I uh, read the news on the internet, and I think about the things that they've, uh, standards and the movement we have in the area of morality in our country, I think, uh, God was gracious up to a point, and then that was the end and judgment came. I think, I hope I die before that happens here. Um, it doesn't sound a lot of fun when you read Ezekiel uh, 4, 5, and 6. It doesn't like a great place to live at that time. But uh, if we were to come under that kind of judgment in this country, evangelism would become much easier. Uh, because one of the purposes, major purpose of God's wrath is to turn people uh, to Him, for them to recognize the world isn't where it's at. And so at that point, people either get angry at God in Revelation where they shake their fist at Him and say, I will, have, I will not worship you, I will not bow down to you, I will not give glory to your name, or they fall at His feet and declare Him God. And uh, so the distinction becomes quite clear when trials and wrath and, and famine and war and all those things come upon a people in their life. So for us, for you and I, uh, the key thing in our thinking, um, I mean, you don't appreciate the cross until you understand the wrath of God. You don't appreciate all that Jesus did experiencing the wrath of God until you understand how intense and awful that wrath is. He took it all. Total wrath of God was poured out on Jesus as he became my sin, the sin of every person who's ever lived. God looked at him as if he did it. And then he poured out his wrath on his own son. We have no comprehension of what Jesus experienced on the cross if we don't have some sense of understanding the wrath of God against sin. Um, And so passages like Ezekiel 4, 5, and 6, not particularly enjoyable. We tend to speed read them. 
uh, Leviticus 26 and the host of other passages in the Old Testament. But uh, there's balance in our understanding of who God is, and He is the same God today that He was in the beginning. And so understanding God's holiness and, uh, and the wrath that He has against those who don't obey Him, don't serve Him, and worship other gods, um, we ought not to ignore that or to water that down or to shift into a different view uh, because we won't appreciate our salvation. We won't really appreciate the love of God until we see the contrast. When the kids were small, we went out one day when it was snowing and we put some black construction paper in the freezer and then we went out and caught some snowflakes and uh, they, were, they froze on that black paper and it was easy to see the shapes of them. <clears throat> we were talking about the difference in snowflakes and how they're all different and how they, created by God, were unique in their giftedness and their personality, everything about them. And then also, <clears throat> another time I talked about contrast. I said, you know, we wouldn't appreciate heaven if life were really, really good all the time. We don't understand things without contrast. It's the contrast that makes things sharp and clear, like this snowflake on this black paper. And, uh, and so we don't really understand and fully appreciate how uh, great His love is until we understand how great His wrath is. We don't appreciate the forgiveness that we experience until we understand a holy God's feeling towards sin. Uh, but we, we don't like it, so we tend to ignore it, not think about it, uh, not spend much time on it. Uh, reading, uh, memorizing the book of Hebrews probably the most intense book in the New Testament uh, in the sense of falling away from God and the warnings that are in there uh, has been a, a major, major um, sort of defining point in my life in the sense of uh, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of, the angry, of an angry God. Um, and so those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, scourges every son whom He receives. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, but afterward it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who respond to it. And so it's, it's, it's God, and balance is critical as we read and study and uh, understand who He is. So as you do your Bible reading, uh, don't speed read those passages, and uh, for sure don't get involved in mentally doing what the vast majority of believers do today. That's the God of the Old Testament. Uh, God is God and He is the same today, yesterday, forever. And His holiness and His justice and His attitude towards those who uh, worship other gods besides Him. And sin is the same as it's always been. But today we have the uh, huge blessing of the death of Christ on the cross where he has taken that wrath. But for those who would take that for granted and use that as a license for sin, uh, I believe the wrath will be even greater in the sense of insulting the Spirit of grace, trampling underfoot the Son of God and the blood of Christ. All right, maybe next week they will lead in a little bit easier uh, section. We'll see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that each one of us will live our life uh, fully devoted to you. And Lord, we will be motivated to live life uh, righteously in submission to you, uh, following your word. Lord, we would uh, 
have balance between fearing you and loving you and uh, understanding that you are a God who punishes and you are a God who rewards and that we would be responsible in the way we live and the choices we make. And Lord, it's so, such a great blessing to know that we're forgiven and we are adopted into your family and uh, sort of a safety net in our life, as it were, and your spirit living in us grants us strength. But Lord, you want our submission, our devotion. You want our confession of sin and repentance. And I pray that all of us would, would be faithful to, uh, to love you and to serve you and to confess quickly, repent, and to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness and holiness as a way of life. Thank you for the great strength you grant us to do that uh, and that we become more and more like you every day. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.